we know when you do speak, there's life. So God, we want to receive all of your words today with joy. We thank you, God. In Jesus' precious name. And everyone said, amen. Come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. (laughs) Hallelujah. We'll dismiss the kids uh, for Children's Church. Um, And as we do that, um, I'll ask you to turn with me in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 11. Hallelujah. Hebrews chapter 11, have you getting settled in? We're continuing in our sermon series that we've titled Children's Stories. I hope that you've been paying attention in the fact that not only that, maybe God has brought some depth from some stories that you might think are very... Uh, have been very just shallow in the sense that that's why we call them children's stories and we use these stories to introduce our young people to the scripture and to teach them moral stories and about God and those type of things. But how much God uh, definitely has some depth in the word. Um, but I hope that if, if you go back and you maybe you've been taking notes or you uh, downloaded the, and printed off the sermon notes, which you can do every week, um, I hope you've paid attention to how these stories have connected to one another. And uh, this path that God is taking us on is incredible. And so last week we talked about Sarah. Um, and of course Isaac is a, a big part of that. And so this week I want to talk about Isaac. Hello somebody. And so I, I want you to read with me this portion of uh, Hebrews as we're going to reference Genesis 22. Uh, about Abraham and Isaac and God asking Abraham to offer Isaac as a sacrifice. And and I want to set the scene for us in just a minute. Um, In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17, the Bible says, By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, everybody say tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son. Everybody say only son. Of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He, that would be Abraham, considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead. Now, if you've read any of the biblical story that leads you up to Abraham... I'm not sure we had seen much of the resurrecting power of God. And I can't testify to you how much Abraham had actually, if he'd ever seen. How can a man who've never seen God resurrect the dead believe that God could do it? As a matter of fact, before God called Abraham to walk with him and to leave the land of Ur, Abraham was a moon worshiper, an idol worshiper. So I find this statement, again, one of those things you can't just read your Bible, you have to read your Bible. I find this statement in Hebrews interesting that it says that Abraham considered that God would raise, even could raise him from the dead. Now listen, if you try to explain to a blind man what the color yellow looks like, how far you think you're going to get? 
Because he's never seen the color yellow, and so he doesn't have a reference to that. How could Abraham have this idea? Where'd this thought come from? But it's there, it's written in your scripture, and it says, it says, he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Let's pray. Father, bless the reading of the word to the hearing of our ears and the receiving of our heart, in Jesus' name. And everyone said... All right, let me give you the children's story version of Genesis chapter 22. Now, we've read this part out of Hebrews because that's the way we've been walking because we've been talking about faith, amen, and how these children's stories. So let me, let me just give you the, you ready for the children's version? Yeah, yeah, let's watch this. In the days of Abraham, one of the ways people showed their love for God was by offering him a sacrifice. A sacrifice is like a gift. It's something that you give to God to show him you're willing to obey him, even when it costs you something. Usually it was something like a sheep or a lamb. But when Isaac was still a young boy, really? Is that the timeline of the scripture? That Isaac was a young boy in Genesis chapter 2. But anyway, this is the children's version. Hello, somebody. When Isaac was still a young boy, God asked Abraham for a different kind of sacrifice. God said, this year, instead of killing an animal and giving it to me, I want you to give me your only son, Isaac. Now, Abraham was shocked, and he thought to himself, no, not Isaac. He's my only son. How could I possibly kill my only son? But then he remembered God promised that Isaac would be the father of many nations. And he realized that God would have not lied to him. So he reasoned. If God has asked me to sacrifice my only son, it must be he'll raise him from the dead. So the next morning, the next morning, he took Isaac and went to the place of the sacrifice. Now, how long did that take? Let's move on. Because this is just the children's version. Now, Isaac had been on these trips before, and he began to realize that something was missing. And so he said to his father, we've forgotten to bring something to sacrifice. And Abraham replied, don't worry, son, God will supply the sacrifice. When they reached the place of sacrifice, Abraham tied his son and placed him on the altar. He raised the knife to kill his son as God had asked. And suddenly an angel appeared and shouted, stop! Now I know that you love me. You're willing to give me your only son as a sacrifice. That's all I wanted to know. And Abraham looked, and there in the bush was a big male sheep caught by its horns. And Abraham went back and took that big sheep and offered it up as a burnt offering to God. And then Abraham and Isaac walked home together. Interesting story in the scripture. It's real interesting in the sense that I love biblical archaeology. And I used to subscribe to a, to, that, to a magazine by that title, Biblical Archaeology. And, and in one of those magazines, there is an article chi- titled, Child Sacrifice at Carthage, Dash, Religious Right or Population Control. Interesting. Now, what they were doing is they were discussing the city of Carthage. And uh, it's a city in northern Africa. And uh, uh, this is, if, if you're famous or familiar with some of the history of what Hannibal came from, uh, this particular place, and it was a major military power that challenged the power of the Roman Empire. 
Um, so archaeologists have been doing some digging around the city of Carthage, and, and they were surprised at what they found. Now, usually archaeologists are pretty surprised at what they find because we presuppose that we know everything. Hello, somebody. You've got to understand that most archaeologists view religion as something that's evolved as, as people have grown in uh, and, and become. So in the, in, the, in the beginning, religion would have been something that was crude and barbaric. It would have been something uh, that way. And so um, they're, they're, they're looking at the religion in Carthage, and they're a little confused because it didn't match what they presupposed that they knew. What they found in Carthage was this, and I'm going to read it to you. Early sacrifices, what seems to be natural to us, um, were animals. And as time went on, human sacrifice became more common. So they're puzzled by what they found. They found that it was just the reverse. And so the explanation the authors in this article put forth was that Carthage was founded, when it was founded, animals were very plentiful and children were not. And so what they had to do in order to grow the city is they had to make sure that the children survived and animals were plentiful and so they sacrificed uh, the animals to their gods. But as the city grew and animals became more scarce and children became more plentiful, they graduated from animal sacrifice into human sacrifice. It didn't fit their mold. Now, the Old Testament is an interesting book, and I challenge you to read it with open eyes in order to look and see the gospel presented to us. In the Old Testament, there are a lot of nations that God, and we wonder why, you know, everybody will put this out to you, why does a loving God command um, his people sometimes to overcome uh, and conquer and kill people of other nations. But you got to understand that there were other nations who practiced children sacrifice. Hello, somebody. And they would sacrifice their children to pagan gods. And God abhorred this, right? Uh, in, in the aspect of, of one nation, they had a god called Molech. And uh, God says, curse is the people who let their, people, uh, their children pass through the fires of Moloch. And what every family would have to do is offer their very firstborn into the fire of Moloch. It was this giant statue that a fire built in its chest. And its arms was extended. And as the fire heated up, that caused the arms to raise. And what you would do is you would put your firstborn on the arms of the statue. And, and as the fire heated up and the arms red, the baby would roll down the arms into the fire. God hated this. Hello, somebody. In Leviticus 20, verse 2, Say to the people of Israel, any one of those people of Israel or the strangers who sojourn in Israel who give any of their children to Molech shall surely be put to death. The people of the land shall stone them with stones. Now, there's a lot of things today that we could say represent the idea of this demon god Molech that we allow our children to be given. Y'all not hearing me this morning. Suffice to say that human sacrifice 
especially in this form, was a great evil and God would not tolerate it. it. There is a theme through the Old Testament that God wiped out nations who practiced this. Much like society today, where the life of children really have no value. The only value they have is our own pleasure. And if they cause us any kind of inconvenience or discomfort, legally we'll allow, we're allowed. Hello, somebody. I'm not sure God's happy about it. And now we come to Abraham. This pagan who God spoke to, this idol worshiper who God spoke to, this man who would have been familiar with children's sacrifice. God says, I need you to leave all of that and come with me. We're going to be different. Things are going to, and right away, God establishes all of this. You're not going to be like those people. And then God asks him for his only son. Wait, wait. Hello, somebody. I mean, this ought to violate your spirit because this is where, you know, people who say, see, the Bible contradicts itself. Let me just say this to you as a Bible student and as a preacher. If, there's a, if you ever think there is a contradiction in the Scripture, the contradiction's not in the Scripture, it's with, the, with your interpretation. Uh, David Campbell is famous for saying the Bible will interpret itself. But nonetheless, there are times when we read the Bible that we come to these moments and we just go, hold up, wait a minute. Something ain't right. I believe it's on purpose that God brings us to these moments. I believe it's on purpose that God wants us to get caught up in the drama of this moment. God specifically hates human sacrifice. He, 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 he calls it an abomination. And yet he asks Abraham to offer up his own, own son as a burnt offering. You got to understand that burnt means burnt. You're not getting it back. So what's going on? It's a great question. I don't think God's offended by us coming to this moment and saying, wait a minute. But the answer's in the story. The answer's in the story, but because it's a children's story, sometimes... Hello, somebody. In Genesis 22, verse 12, Abraham's about to drive the knife home. Come on, church. And God says, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him, for now I know that you fear God, seeing that you have not withheld your only son from me. Let me just say this, and I put it up here because I want you to remember it. Maybe write it down. You can tweet it. You can do whatever you want to. But it's time we talk about it. It's time we understand it, and it's time we stop being confused about it. The purpose of an altar is to have a place where you surrender something of value to God. I need, you, I need you to grab this. Because it's a word. The purpose of an altar is to have a place where you surrender something of value to God. If you only come to the altar and surrender nothing, 
If you come to the altar and you surrender nothing, you will never experience the miracle-working power of God. You'll never see a time in the Scripture, and this is, this is, see, this is what happens to us as Western world Christians. We refuse to think biblically because we, we've got it all figured out. We presuppose that we know everything. And so we figure like our own thoughts make sense to us. But time and time again, God will compel us. God will, will compel us to the altar. And we come to the altar and we think it's just to receive something. We never see the altar as a place to surrender something. Elizabeth had no idea what I was going to preach on today. But if we never surrender, we'll never experience the miracle working power of God. Instead, what we'll do is we will justify the answer in our own mind. We'll come up with all these things. Hello, somebody. Let me say this to you. Throughout Abraham's life, he had built many altars. This is a unique one, and I'm going to show you why in a little bit. But everywhere he goes, he built altars. If you just watch his life as you move through the Scripture, he's always building altars, and he was a very rich man. He had a lot of sheep, he had a lot of cattle, he had all these things. He had numerous, numerous servants and all those particular things. So up to this point, Abraham, the sacrifices he had made... Had not cost him anything. All those altars that he built his whole life. What he put on them. Mattered very little to him. Like when, you, when you've got a thousand sheep. Giving one. Hello somebody. It's not a, it's not a big deal. But with this offering. Abraham was literally laying everything on it. And it's a test. The Bible specifically says God tested him. It didn't say he tempted him. That's two different things. God can't be tempted, therefore he will not tempt. But he will test. And here is Abraham facing the moment of a test. He's not asked for a sheep. He's not asked for a cow. God didn't ask him. For a grain offering. He didn't ask him on church. He asked him for the one thing. That he promised him. And the one thing that he promised. Would continue him. And so to Abraham it was everything. Jesus challenges us much the same way. Can I read it to you? In Matthew chapter 10 verse 38. The Bible says, Jesus speaking, and whoever does not take up his cross and follow me. A man never picks up a cross unless he intends to die. I mean, it wasn't like a party favor. Hey, we're going to a harvest party. Everybody's going to dress up. What are we going to do? All right, we're going to a costume party. What are we going to do? No, it's not, no one's, hello, somebody. You only carry it if, if, if the intent and the sentence is to die. And Jesus speaks to us and he says, If you don't take up your cross and follow me, 
you're not worthy of me. I, I, I need us to listen very carefully about what's happening here. Because the question to us this morning is unique. Have you laid all on the altar? Is there anything you love more than Jesus? Oh, Pastor Don is preaching this morning. I knew it would be quiet. See, when y'all get quiet, I know it was good. (laughs) Let me say why. Let me tell you why I make this statement, and I'm going to put this up here too because I need you to grab a hold of it because I, I I want us to grab this thing so deep. Isaac is the promise of God to Abraham. Here is the issue. God's promise had become a hindrance to Abraham when Abraham cherished it more than he did God. The New Testament in Matthew chapter 6 says, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Can I say this to us this morning? God demands to be first. You can't open the Bible and begin to read it on page 1 and not understand that particular thing in the beginning in the beginning God in the beginning God God demands to be first in the beginning God it's right there in the scripture I don't have a trick Bible and neither do you in the beginning God created the heaven and earth he is first he was in the beginning and so he demands to be first today he not only demands to be first he demands to be everything In the Garden of Eden, it can be seen there in Genesis chapter 3. It says, in the cool of the day, Adam, God came and walked with Adam. That, that's, the, that's, a, that's an idea of the morning. That's, in the, that's right there. David, in, in Psalms 143.8, he says, cause me to hear thy loving kindness in the morning. David, all throughout the scripture, talks about the power of the morning. To start, to move. See, a lot of us start our day with the hustle and the bustle. A lot of us start our day with anxiety and big. Got to get out the door. Got to get out the door. Got to get out the door. Come on, amen. I'm just like that. My wife's like, where are you going? I got to go. And she says, I'm not ready. I said, that's why we got two cars. See ya. (laughs) Ask her. I got to go. I got to go. It's a busy, busy, busy. Right away, as soon as you wake up, as soon as you hit the floor, man, I mean, it is how fast can we get out the door, right? How fast can we get out the door? But David never said that. You read David's reading, and it's in the morning, in the morning, in the morning. Hello, somebody. On purpose, he was with God. On purpose, it's right there over and over and over and over and over again. David talks about the morning. God should be the first person you talk to in the morning. Hello, Jesus. Let me, let me bless you with the Ten Commandments. Watch this in Exodus 20, uh, verse 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. That's first. Jesus even says this in Revelation chapter 17. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. We we talked a lot about it this week at, at the Bible college, the idea of the preeminence of God. 
what that means and what that looks like and, and how God works inside of that. Colossians, which is probably my favorite book of the New Testament, um, he, he looks at verse 18, chapter 1, verse 18, and it says that he is the head of the body of the church who is the beginning and the firstborn. And all things he has preeminence. God demands to be first. Somebody say amen. Now I'm laying a groundwork here because I want you to see something I think is very important. God demands that things between us be sacrificed. Anything in between us must be sacrificed. Anything that separates us. God is a jealous God. Would you say amen? He has a right to be jealous God. You want me to tell you why? Because he's God. Exodus 34, 14. For thou shalt worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. God wanted to see Abraham. And he wanted to know if Abraham loved him more than he loved Isaac. And I love the fact that in this story, you and I, because we've heard it since we were little, right? Abraham proves his loyalty and he trusts God completely. Really? God wants that thing that stands between you and him to be laid on the altar. And he wants it to be laid there bound. Bound. Lynette quoted a scripture about iniquity this morning. I've got one in my notes from Isaiah 59 too, but your iniquities have separated between you and your God. And your sins have hid his face from you that he will not hear. Can I ask us a question this morning? Just being open, I want you to relax for a minute because it's just a children's story. What stands between you and God? What stands between you and God is an attitude, is an idea, is a thought process. It is something that God has repeatedly asked for that you refuse to give him. And, and let's say I could go through the list of things that destroy your life. I could go through the list of things that destroy your life. Addictions and abuse, uh, unforgiveness. I could go through all those things. I, I could go through the uh, unbiblical ways of thinking and, and all the things that would draw us into worldly ideas, participating in the things of the world that you know are a detriment to your life, yet you won't give them up. For a moment in time, you find a joy in something that you know later on you're going to pay for. And God says, why do you do that? Why do you do that? Why do you do that? Things that, that you refuse to give up that you know are destroying your family. That you know not only are you suffering from it, but your spouse is suffering and your children are suffering. Things that maybe it's a job, maybe it's a love of material things. I mean, we could go down the gamut of all the things that are evil, that are bad, that every one of us in the room could say, Amen. That is a bad thing. But what about this? Was Isaac a bad thing? I love spending time with the interns in the summer. It's just something I, I just, I crave. I love to hear what God is saying to them. Some young people who are coming in to spend 10 weeks together 
And uh, I appreciate this church honoring in the budget ways to support that and bring some, some very unique uh, things in. And just, man, we lay some things out. Oh, so good. We got this running note list now that we have titled, Sheesh. Because God will speak and it'll be just like, write it down, write it down, write it down. Brenda said something this year that was powerful. She said, not everything that is good is beneficial. doesn't have to be inherently evil to destroy our life. If we love it more than we love God. It can even be something that God has given us. There's a reason why John chapter 21 is an incredible chapter. Fish aren't evil. But Jesus asked Peter, do you, you love me more than, hello somebody. Do you, come on church, and I would say to you that even the things that are good, a, a healthy job, if you love it more than you love Jesus, Material things, things of the world, things even that God has blessed us with. If we love it more than we love the Lord, come on church. What stands between you and God today? I'm asking a very clear question that I think must be answered. And until we answer it, there will always be some space between us and God. Of some sort. No matter how long we walk with God. Abraham would walk with God. I mean, listen, church, he, he abandoned everything to walk with God. But yet God had an issue with him still. Even in blessing him, I need to know where you're at this morning. I need to know, Abraham, what's going on in your life. I, I, I need you to understand that, yes, I intend to bless you. Yes, I intend to prosper you. Yes, my promise rests on you. Yes, I intend to use you for my glory and to establish who I am in all the earth. But there's this issue, Abraham. There's this thing there. When you make an idol out of my promises, when you make an idol out of my blessings, you worship them instead of me. We know the end of the story. God let him keep his son. Somebody say amen. Oh, oh. In, in the Bible college the other night, uh, when Moses, we pointed it out, when, when Moses asked God, show me your glory... And God speaks and describes his own glory to Moses. It's, it's not Moses writing God's glory. It's God saying, this is what it, merc, merciful and faithfulness. It's, um, God is saying it. Now watch this because you've got to grab a hold of it, right? God lets him keep his son. And it's such a great thing. And, and he actually says in Genesis twenty-two sixteen to 18, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son. Now he points that out. Not just a son, but your only son. I, I'll surely bless you and I'll surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and the sands of the sea shore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemy. And your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Abraham, you laid it all on the altar and so I'm going to bless you. During worship, especially in this house, we love it. Um, and even at the end of sermons, oftentimes people will come to the stage. Now let, let me be clear this morning, this is not an altar. 
It's just a platform or a stage. There's nothing sacred about the stage. If someone wants to treat it like an altar, that's completely okay. Come on, somebody. But the fact is you can treat your car as an altar. Your dining room table. You can kneel down beside your bed and call it an altar. Why? Because an altar is any place you make a decision to surrender. Yes. But Western world Christians often see the altar as a place to come and receive instead of surrender. Somebody say amen. I'm, I'm helping you. Y'all should be help him, Jesus. Help him, Jesus, because he's helping me. What if victory has nothing to do with strength and everything to do with surrender? What if the thing you're wrestling through and you're going through and, and you're, you've got it figured out your own way. I've, I've had enough. I've gone through enough. And now I'm making a different decision. I, I've, I've decided. I have decided. I See, this is the point. We, we, you have decided to do your own thing because you've never decided to serve God. Surrender has everything to do with giving up. Remember last week? I can't, but you can. Make a decision. Make a decision. Oh, my church, just think about what would happen if we absolutely made a decision. Just think about right here in this room, if every parent made a decision right now that no matter what my children do, I will love them. I'm going to make a decision that my love is not based on, oh, oh, come on, church. I, I, my wife and I went and seen a movie this past week, and, and I, I admit it was just a movie from my childhood, and they remade it, and I was like, oh, I have to go see this movie. And, and the son and the father are, are, are together, and they're, they're trying to establish some things, and, and uh, the son is supposed to inherit everything. And, and the son is really wrestling with this thing, and he says to his father, what if I can't? What if I can't do it? What if I can't do it? What if I can't be the leader, what if I can't do what you do? What if I can't do it? It's impossible. I don't know that, that I can do it. And, it. and the father took off his gloves and he looked his son in the eyes. He said, even if you can't, you'll always be the one thing I only wanted you to be. My son. Ah, I just was like, I wanted to run around the theater. The glory run about happened in Three Rivers 6. Dune is the name of the movie. All right, forgive me. Um, you'll always be the one thing I only ever wanted you to be, my son. What if every parent just said, you know what? Yes, I'm going to teach you to walk with Jesus. Yes, I'm going to teach you to, to how to live a good moral life. Yes, I'm going to teach you how to do right and abhor what's wrong. Yes, I'm going to do those things. But listen, I'm going to love you, and I'm going to love you. Why? Because that's who you are. You are mine. What if, what if every spouse in this room decided, you know what? We're removing a particular word from our vocabulary, divorce. 
decision. What if we just made a decision? You see, what you don't understand is the miracle my wife and I had all those years ago, within the first five years, we decided one night that that word no longer could be spoken. It wasn't even an option. And so we might as well get on with doing what it took to fix it. We made a decision. Listen, when I was, when I, listen, when I was addicted to pornography, when I, when I, I tell the story about how that night I pulled the chair up at the altar and said, I'm not leaving till God, till God, till God delivers me. And I sat there all by my, I, God's going to move or I'm not leaving. I tell that story, right, all those years ago. What I don't tell you is that I had previously, the week before, sat down with Pastor Rick and him demonstrate and show to me biblically in every way that pornography had a demonic aspect to it and that I, as the head of the house, was opening the door to demonic attacks on my family's life and that I'm responsible for what was happening. Not me, not me. I, am, I made a decision. Do you understand? I made a decision. I'm not going to do that. God is going to deliver me. I'm not going to be responsible for my family dying. Make a decision. This is the problem. We come up here on a Sunday morning or an emotional aspect of the altar during worship and we plead our heart out to God, but we never leave having made a decision. And we wonder why I walk away without the miracle working power of God. Abraham knew that if he plunged his knife into his son's chest and he set his son on fire, he would be a burnt offering and you don't get that back. But in his mind, he's like, God can resurrect this. You see, if you don't surrender something, Come on, church. Oh, Pastor Don's helping you this morning. You don't even know. You don't, you don't need to, later on tonight, you'll be thinking about this sermon. You're just going to shout, help him. Because he was helping me. This is the problem with Western world Christians. We never have to make a decision. You want your finances to get better? Make a decision. Make a decision. I'm just saying, I want to bring us to this point to where God is in our face saying it's time. It's time. It's time. Choose left or right. It's time. Choose this side or that side, right? We are at the, the crossroads of decision, church. And if you don't think that is the truth, you need to wake up and look at the world around you. It's time to make a decision. Am I going to follow Jesus if there isn't anything on the grocery shelves? What did you think it meant when the Bible said you'd trade a bag of gold for a loaf of bread? What did you think it was going to look like? And you can't tell me. Come on, church. This country wins two world wars? And we have found ourselves at the place where we can't even unload cargo ships? It's time for the church to wake up. It's time for Christians to understand. We've been talking for a long time about living in.
in the last days because, oh, that sounded good. It made us feel all spiritual inside because we're the ones who live in the last days. But all of a sudden, when we can't unload boats, when we can't get stuff in and the world is falling apart, we realize I've really never made a decision that I'm going to follow Jesus even if I'm hungry, even if they persecute me, even if they take everything away from me. Am I still going to follow Jesus? We've never made that decision. And all of a sudden... We got to make a decision. Those people who are the most powerful and influential in the world, whether they're right or wrong, they are people who have made a decision. And you ain't going to talk them out of it. Listen, when I made a decision for Jesus, you ain't talking me out of it. I had an experience. I had an encounter with the living God. And I don't care what's happened from that day to this. That day I can never forget. That day I will never ever forget. It was that day where Jesus walked up and said, You can either sit here and die or you can get up and walk with me and live. Make a decision. All of this fuzzy feely. I'll make a decision because it... It gives me the benefit I want. As soon as you don't get that benefit, all of a sudden, that decision doesn't have any power anymore. I, none of this is in my notes, so I can't help you. I just can't. I don't, I don't, I don't. Church, I, I, I've got, help me, Jesus. I need to say this to us. Jesus doesn't want part ownership of our life. He wants the whole thing. You got a struggle? Come on, you're not a bad person because you got a struggle. Hello, Jesus. I'm not saying I'm any more special than anybody else. I'm not. But I want to thank you for praying. I hadn't said a word to anybody but leadership over the last year about the doctors saying, hey, you're in kidney failure. They're like, you need to stop all this, stop all that. Even if I am, I'm not going to stop living. This thing's not going to paralyze me. You need to stop lifting weights. And I'm like, I'm not, no. You need to stop taking, hello somebody. They did some tests again this week, and I believe firmly because you prayed with me. The tests all came back, and the doctors circled it. Your kidneys have returned to normal. Yeah, right. What if they hadn't? What if they hadn't? You got a struggle? Is your marriage sink? I almost said a different word. Well, join the club. Every one of us have been there. Why are you looking for worldly places and things? When you do that, you're giving those things ownership of your life. Do, do, you, do you understand there is nothing of the world that wants to help you? They only want to enslave you. Everything of the world wants to enslave you. Everything in the world wants to destroy you. Everything in the world. And you think, that, that, see, the Bible is right, but because we don't read it, we don't believe it. There is a way that seems right unto man, but the end thereof is it's death. It's death. It's death. You're going to die. Listen, if I'm going to die, I'm going to die on the hill walking with God. That's why I'm going to die. That's why I'm going to die. And I often tell these guys, pick a hill and die on it, man. Pick a hill and die on it. Man, even if we do die, at least they can say we died for something. 
What a wishy-washy all over the world. The Bible says a double-minded man's unstable in all his way. Pick a hill and die on it. When I get to heaven and I walk up to the pearly gates, I guarantee you, whoever's there to greet me is going to say, you know, that doctrine was whack. You, you remember you preached that sermon? That was horrible. That'll be fine. But the one thing I will never be accused of is being owned by this world. Not going to be owned by it. Not going to be owned by it. We must abandon ourselves to God. We must abandon ourselves to God. You cannot do the wrong thing and get right results. Brenda, will you say it? Sheesh! You can't do the wrong thing and get the right results. It won't work. <laughs> Bo and I were talking and we were like, you know that statement that says, you know, the definition of insanity is to continue to do the same thing, different results? And we were like, wait a minute, who's, who's insane? Like, why am I continuing to do this? They're not getting it. And it's not that they're not getting it, they don't even want it. Yeah. Now, I'm going to blow your mind because I like doing that during the sermon. Why would God want, to lay us, want us to lay it all on the altar? Well, I'm glad you asked. Because when we surrender our entire lives to God, that's when God begins to do powerful things through us. I mean, that's what God did with Abraham and Isaac. Come on. Come on, church. He's the God of Abraham. Y'all didn't say it. I'm, I, come on. He's the God of Abraham. God begins to move through some powerful things here. God is moving through these men in some powerful ways. And I need you to watch this. I need you to watch this very carefully. Because Abraham was willing to sacrifice his only son to God, God used that story to tell us about the sacrifice of Jesus. Buckle your seatbelt. Hold your neighbor real tight. Isaac is referred to as Abraham's only son. What about Ishmael? We're talking about the son of promise. Genesis 22. He's referred to as the only son. John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his. All right, I'm going to walk you through this. Isaac asked, where is the lamb for the burnt offering? When John the Baptist showed up on the scene, he said, behold the lamb. Oh! Who takes away the sin of the world. Isaac traveled Three days to get to Mount Moriah. In the morning, they got up and traveled. The Bible said traveled. It didn't say they walked out the door and made an altar. They traveled to the place where they were living. Mount Moriah was three days' walk. He traveled three days to get to the altar. Jesus was raised from the tomb on the... Watch this. In Genesis chapter 22, verse 6, the Bible says that the wood for the sacrifice was placed upon Isaac. He ties this little boy up, a children's story, lays him on the altar, and then begins to pile wood on top of him. 
the things you don't see. The wooden cross was placed upon Jesus' shoulder. Isaac was taken to Mount Moriah to be sacrificed. Jesus was sacrificed on Golgotha, which is Mount Moriah. Oh. You, you, you got it? I'm just trying to help you. Somebody say, help me. Help, help me. God supplied the sacrifice to be offered in place of Isaac. God supplied Jesus as a sacrifice to be offered in our place. Abraham believed that God would raise Isaac from the dead. I don't know how he could fathom that or believe it, but that's what the Bible tells me. And so Jesus came to die for our sins, and God raised him from the dead. And Isaac was not a little boy. Isaac was 33 years old and could have overcome and overpowered his father. But instead, the Bible never mentions a struggle. It does say that Abraham tied him up and laid a 33-year-old man. How old is Abraham at this time? Come on, how old was Abraham when he was born, when Isaac was born? How old is Isaac at this time? So a 133-year-old man's got to wrestle with a 33-year-old. Who do you think going to win this battle? The Bible never mentions a struggle. Instead, it tied him up, laid him on the altar, and then began to pile wood on top of him. Isaac submitted and surrendered. And Jesus submitted and surrendered. Not my will, but yours be done. Isn't that cool? I mean, don't you just walk away from this and go, wait, I thought this was a children's story. But my mind is a little bit blown. What is going on? See, because Abraham was willing to surrender his most precious possession to God... God then uses Isaac to tell the story of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection to assure us that the details of Jesus' sacrifice on the cross had been the plan the whole time. Ugh. Every aspect of this story, church, is pointed to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. What if, what if, what if the thing God is asking you to lay on the altar isn't about what you have to give up. But it's about what God wants to use in your life to tell the story of his great love to a lost and dying world. Yeah. Oh. The altar is a place of surrender. And what you surrender, you don't get back. That's why we are scared of it. Because in our hearts, we know I don't dare go up there because I don't intend to leave it. I don't intend to finally make a decision. And I want to tell you right now in this place, there are some, parables, some parents in here who have some prodigals. If you would make a decision, God might do some miracles. There are some married folk in here right now that if you'd make a decision, God might do some miracles. 
I, I, I want you to grab a hold of the fact that sometimes the miracle working power of God has everything to do with your decision. <laughs> what if it's a test? The next time, the next time you and your spouse get at each other, just look at one another and go, this is a test. It's, it's, a, te- it's a test. It might not even be about you. It might be about me. This is a test. What? Hello, somebody. Well, the next time your boss comes in and you are his point of frustration for the... It's a test. It's a test. It's a test. I know this is a test. What if we just started rolling everything inside of that mentality going, okay, what is God asking from me today? What is God wanting? Is there something that's in between me and God that he's trying to work out? Is there something inside of there that if God, if I were to lay this thing on the altar, God could use me and my life to tell the story of his grace and his mercy and his redemptive power to a lost and dying world? What if it has nothing to do with your frustration? and everything to do with the fact that God wants to use you in your life for his glory. But wait, there's more. Remember the part of the story where Isaac looks around and says to his dad, uh, we got firewood, come on. We got a knife, but where's the sacrifice? This tells me that he had made this journey before. He knew what was up. I don't know if Isaac realized what his dad had planned. But here's the deal. If there's no lamb, if there's no sacrifice, Isaac has to die. If there's no sacrifice, if there's no substitutionary, Isaac has to die. If God doesn't intervene, Isaac's going to die. If God, Abraham said what? God will provide for himself. He didn't say, Isaac, God's going to provide for you a sacrifice. He didn't say, Isaac, God's going to provide for me a sacrifice. He said, no, God will provide for himself, himself a sacrifice. Listen, if God doesn't provide a substitutionary sacrifice, Isaac's dead. He is dead. Now, Isaac might not have known that. But you and I do because we know the story. But I said this in the beginning, and I want you to be sure I'm positive of it. And when I get there to the gates of heaven, somebody who checks me in or whatever they do might look at me and say, no, 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 that's not how it is. But I am, am, in my own life, as I read the Bible, I'm certain that God wants me to get caught up in the drama of it. Why? Because he wants me to understand That if he didn't supply the sacrifice, there was no hope for Isaac. But then God gives away the plot. Come on, church. I'll provide for myself a sacrifice. All I need is your obedience. See, let me, let, me, let me put this to you very quickly here. The sacrifice is God's business. Because no matter what you have, it's not enough. 
Your business is obedience. Think about the power of your obedience in this moment at this time. God wants us to understand that if he didn't supply the sacrifice, there was no hope. Without the lamb, Isaac has no hope. But once God supplied the sacrifice, come on church, Isaac was saved. The Bible doesn't describe the scene, but maybe just because I'm crazy. I can see Abraham raking the wood off of Isaac. Can you see it? Can, can you see it? The instant that he sees that sheep stuck in that thorn bush. Can you see him running over and raking the wood off of Isaac? Get it? No, he's not the one. Come on, he's not the one. He's not dying today. He's not dying today because God has showed up. God has provided for himself like I knew he would. And he tore off those bonds, those things that bound him together. And together as father and son, they witnessed the miracle working power of God because not only was Abraham obedient, but so was Isaac. And I'm telling you this morning, church, I'm telling you this morning, there are some of you in this room who can't imagine. It's hopeless. You see the knife coming down. You see the knife about to drive home. You feel the weight of the wood piled on top of you. But I'm here to tell you this morning that my God is a good God. And that he's come here this morning to seek and to save and to set us free. And it's about time that you realize that God has already provided the sacrifice that supplies the need for your life. And it's about time you start raking the weight of that wood off of your life. Without the Lamb of God, who can take away the sin of the world? Woo! Y'all relax, it's just a children's story. But once Jesus came, we could be saved. Oh, how I love Jesus. Come on, church. Maybe you're here today and you found this word a little hard. It's not my heart's intent to discourage you. But I realize that there are people in this room who have to make the walk that Isaac walked. Knowing something's not right the whole way. Having to deal with the pressure and the anxiety of it's not right. I want to encourage you this morning. Today is the day of decision. Will you stand with me? I want you to realize that what God is asking for is the thing that's in between you and him. He's not trying to be cruel. And he's not violating his own character. Because that's our initial thought, that this violates the character of God, human sacrifice. It, it, it shouldn't be so. Human sacrifice is not what God was after. An obedient heart is what he was looking for. 
and to test us to see, do we love this more than we love him, even if it is the promise he has given us? Would Paul have been the same man that he was if he never had the testimony that God's grace was sufficient? Would God have had the same revelation? Or Paul had the same revelation of God? Unless he had first caught the revelation that my grace is sufficient. I I want you to understand that the things that we're experiencing in life, God is not disconnected from. He's so connected with them that sometimes he violates us through it. And the altar should always be a place where we sacrifice something. It cannot be a selfish place. But in that sacrifice, we reveal our true relationship with the Lord. And so I don't pray with us. And as I pray, if you want to move out, no one's judging you. The truth of the matter is, every one of us will be at an altar here pretty soon. Some way, somehow, God will move us to that place. Because none of us get to walk a different path than Isaac walked. Not if he's going to use us to bless the nations. And so I want to open it up to us to say, no matter where you're at, what you're going through, If you know God has spoken to you that there's something in between you and him and you want to come lay that down, if you want to make a decision. I I want to say this to you. Abraham and Isaac could not have imagined the end of that day. They couldn't have made that up in their mind. And the reason you're hesitant right now is because in your mind, you're trying to imagine what God will do. Don't do that. Don't presuppose that you know everything. The only thing you need to know is that you know God. And that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so, Father, in this place right now, we spend a moment to reflect. It's just a children's story. But we want to thank you for the depth of it. With our hearts before you in this moment, in this place, God, we are not a people who are not untouched by the trials and struggles of the world that we live in. And dare to say that just because we're a believer doesn't mean we don't struggle. Just because we are Christians don't mean that sometimes we don't love things more than we love you. And Lord, in this place this morning, we want to lay our lives before you and say, Jesus, be Jesus. Let your Holy Spirit come and refine us, purify us for your glory. The altar is open if you want to come and lay something down. We want to give you that space. out of Egypt. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, right? But that journey should have only taken 11 days. 
but they struggled around Horeb. But then God said to the children of Israel, this is in Deuteronomy 1.6, you have stayed long enough at this mountain. And I'm telling you, this call today in this service is you have stayed long enough in your struggle, in your pain, and if you're holding on to unforgiveness or, or whatever it is, God is telling us we've stayed there long enough. Mm. It's time to come out mm. and enter into that promise. Hallelujah. Sing refiner. If the altar's where you meet us, take me there, take me there. If what you need is just an offering, it's right here. My life is here, and I'll be a living sacrifice for you. You're a fire, the refiner. I want to be consumed. I want to be tried by fire. Purified. You take whatever you desire. It's time to come out. Lord, here's my life. I want to be tried by fire. Purified, you take whatever you desire. Lord, here's my life. Your glory wants to come here. Let it fall. We want it all. Your fire is consuming. Fill this place. Set it.
fire, the refiner, I want to be consumed. You're a fire, the refiner, I want to be consumed. I want to be tried by fire. Purified, you take whatever you desire. Lord, use my life. I want to be tried by fire. Purified, you take whatever you desire. Lord, use my life. Yeah, Jesus, in this place today, you and you alone are worthy. this place, this moment, Lord, we make a decision. And our decision is not about benefit. It's about obedience. We say, God, whatever, whatever it is that represents the thing that's between you and I, we lay it down. The altar is a place of surrender. God, I pray in that surrender that victory will come. I pray right now in the name of Jesus that in that surrender, healing will come from disease right now in Jesus' name. I pray that in that surrender, God, that healing will come in marriages. I pray that in that surrender, healing will come to the wounded heart. I pray right now that healing will come to the mind that is tormented by depression and anxiety. I pray that right now that deliverance will happen from oppressive spirits in Jesus' name. I pray that in this surrender that healing will come and deliverance will come from oppressive spirit of suicide in Jesus' name. Go! 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 In Jesus' name. Be gone! the giver of life, Lord. We receive it right now in the name of Jesus, God. I pray that as we surrender, prodigals are coming home in Jesus' name. I pray right now, God, that as we surrender, God, victory is yours. Victory is yours in every situation. Breakthrough comes through surrender. God, we want our lives to tell the story of your love. God, we want our lives to tell the story of your miracle-working power. We want our lives to tell the story that you are a redemptive God in Jesus' name. And so, God, we say right now, we want to be a people who are known because of the mercy and faithfulness and the glory of our God. Not because we are a religious people. Not because of the do's and the don'ts. We want to be known as a people of sacrifice. so we surrender you are owner you are master you are Lord live or die Lord we belong to you live or die we are yours Lord I believe we're going to hear feel and see the good hand of our God I believe that our ears are going to hear the testimony of your goodness I thought the knife was coming down. I was struggling under the weight of the wood. But God stayed the knife and raked the wood away. And he came and delivered me. 
Do it for your glory. Do it for your honor in Jesus' precious name. And everyone in this house said, come on, give the Lord a hand of praise. Yeah, yeah. Turn around, tell someone. Surrender's away. God bless you.